Welcome to the Neon Noise Podcast, your home for learning ways to attract more traffic to your website, generate more leads, convert more leads into customers, and build stronger relationships with your customers. And now, your hosts, Justin Johnson and Ken Franzen. Hey, Neon Noise Nation. Welcome to the Neon Noise Podcast, where we decode marketing and sales topics to help you grow your business. I am Justin. With me, as always, I have my co-host, Ken. Ken, what's going on today? Not too much, Justin. How are you? I'm doing great. We have a featured guest on today. She is an expert when it comes to leadership and team building. Candela Inglesias. Did I do that right? Almost perfect. Thanks, Justin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Candela is a researcher and public health specialist by training, has worked as a team leader and project coordinator with academic institutions, hospitals, and not-for-profit organizations. She relishes the challenges of leading multidisciplinary teams, and she is passionate about using research and evidence to improve global health and social programs. Candela carried out her PhD in research at the Pasteur Institute of Paris and earned a master in public health from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. She has worked in Mexico, South Africa, France, and I believe Norway. She is an avid hiker and enjoys obstacle course racing and scuba diving. We're going to have to hear more about that for sure. Candela, welcome to Neon Noise. How's it going today? Hi, thank you very much for the invitation. It's great to be here. Awesome. Do me a favor and fill in the blanks on anything I might have missed and uh, share share a little bit of detail about your background. Um, Well, I guess you've said most of it. I basically, I think I came to leadership and team building uh, the way many of us come. Actually, we come through the back door. We don't really have any formal training on it. And um, that's a little bit also what the book talks about. How do you, how do you tackle leadership and team building when you actually don't have any, um, formal management training? Sure. Yeah. So you're the author of the book you're talking about is, is build your dream team leadership based on a passion for people. Who did you write this book for? Who's, who's, who's the audience or who's the, the best audience for, to read this book? That's an interesting question because originally I wrote the book for people who were like I was or where I was uh, many years ago, right? And that is you come into a leadership position because, you know, you're good at what you do and then you continue evolving in your job and then you get offered a leadership position, which is great. The only problem is you've never had any formal management or leadership training. You might be a great marketer or you might be a great um, designer, but you've never been in charge of a team before. And that, I think that happens to a lot of us. And then sure. we all of a sudden are in this position and basically we don't know where to start and we get overwhelmed fairly quickly. So originally that was a little bit the audience that I was aiming to uh, for the book. But what's been interesting is that um, I've had many reviews and comments as uh, after the, f- the, the months that the book has been out telling me that Actually, it's been very useful for people who do have that training, for people who have been in management and in leadership positions for quite a few years, because they maybe were stuck on a problem or they were using certain techniques for many years. And then, you know, the book opened up other possibilities for them. Okay. 
So what, what are some of, uh, these these challenges or these problems that either you know whether i'm a brand new leader i've just been promoted or placed as a as a team leader or a manager or let's say i'm a veteran but i'm employing the these tactics you mentioned that are are they've identified aren't working well what are some of these problems these challenges that that you see these these leaders face i think that in the very beginning people are faced with um, doubts in their abilities, so with self-confidence issues, and especially when you don't have the training, right? Because you say, okay, now I'm in charge of this group, and I said yes to this new job post, but I'm, am I ready to do that? Like, how? where do I even start, right? Right. And then the second one is that very quickly, they or we get overwhelmed, because there's so many... It, when you are part of a team, you have a number of requests on your time and you have tasks to do and so on. But when you switch to a leadership position and you are in charge of the team, all of a sudden you, the, the amount of requests on your time will double or triple or just grow exponentially. And all of a sudden you're just, you find yourself working extra hours, completely overwhelmed, you know, handling emails and telephones and then requests for meetings and you're not getting your own job your own work done you're ha you're not getting any progress on your own projects so i've seen this happen a lot and it happened to me of course at the back in the day and i think these are the two main problems that let's call people beginners are and the other two sets of problems, I think everybody has them, like the beginners, the intermediates, the very experienced, the veteran leaders, everybody. And that is problems we all have in life, whether as team leaders or in our personal lives. And that's communication issues and conflict, handling conflict. Uh, but of course, when you're in charge of a team, the difference is that you can't just ignore other people or ignore the conflicts as you could do when you were a team member, because now the efficiency of the whole team <laughs> is on your shoulders, right? Exactly. All right. So you need to handle both communication issues and any conflicts that arises. Okay. So let's, let's, let's touch a little bit on, on a couple of these items here. Now, you know, overwhelmed is one that, that I find interesting because uh, you change this role, this position, if you're used to being the designer and now you're the leader of the designer to the team leader, you do have a, a different set of uh, responsibilities that includes uh, lots of things you've never done before. And uh, I can see very quickly how someone can become overwhelmed. Um, what are some suggestions that you could give us maybe to how to overcome be being overwhelmed because I think a lot of our listeners might be able to identify with this, this feeling. Yeah. Um, I think it happens uh, a lot and sometimes even to, you know, to people in that have a lot of experience when, when a lot of things are happening at the same time, the difference is that now you will have a lot of pressure from your team and also from your bosses, right. Or from the organization. Um, some of the things that I talk about in the book is one that you need to protect your time. No one's going to protect your time for you. So you need to make sure that every week you have spaces for your own work where you don't get interrupted. And then you can 
you can always communicate this to your team. You know, these are the times where my office is open, where you can come and we can talk. And these are the times where I'm going to be working on project. And I ask you not to interrupt unless it's an, an emergency, right? Because emergencies do happen and you need that flexibility as a leader. Sure. So protecting your time, I think, is is one of the most important ones. And we can do that by, you know, creating what I call creating compartments, time compartments. This time compartment is for management and leadership. And then I go and I talk to my team and we have meetings and or I go and I talk to the bosses or to the organizations or other departments. And this time compartment is for my own work. Um and maybe you have a time compartment that is for growing your team members for, you know, specific performance reviews or meetings with your team to see if everything's going fine. So I think that's, that's one of the, the best strategies that we can use. And the second one is something that a lot of people have trouble doing, and that is delegating. Because now you have a leadership position and you feel that everything is under your responsibility and that you should take care of everything and be always available and always in control. Um, and there's different reasons why people have trouble delegating, right? Some people have trouble delegating because they feel that there's their responsibility to do certain tasks. Other because Others because they don't even know what they can delegate, like what part of the job, the new job is their responsibility and what can they delegate to the team. Uh, I see that a lot too. And also, and we all do this, like every one of us, I think, is the, the part of saying, oh my gosh, it's going to take so long to teach John how to do this. I'd just rather do it myself, right? Sure. And we yeah. we fall prey to that a lot. <laughs> we do that all the time. Uh, yeah, you, you, yeah, you saw yourself there, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, that's to me, I mean, we all do it, but that's clearly a disservice to yourself and to your team members because, you know, you're, you're not growing your team members by teaching them something and putting more responsibility on them. And you're sure. not trusting them to do things right. And it might take one or two or three attempts, but what I always say is, you know, yes, it'll take time, but it's a, it's an investment of time because it will come to the point where they will do things very good that might need just a brush up by you or a little bit of editing. Yeah. So it saves time in the long run. And then I think the last category is people that avoid delegating because they especially with uh, young people that are very new to the leadership position and so on, they don't want to be seen as uh, not being in control or, you, you know, not doing their job or even thinking that um, if they show someone else how to do it, they might lose a little bit in competition because they are transferring skills to someone else and they might have been very well known for that particular skill or that particular task. Sure. So okay. I think in the book, I talk about many of these reasons why we don't delegate and we, what we can do about it and how can we delegate better? Because I think it's a, it's a great service to ourselves and to our teams and it creates more cohesive and more efficient teams for sure. And it makes our own lives easier, right? <laughs> As well. It, it, it definitely does when in delegating, is I found it always challenging with, I think even that latter part, and I think Justin will agree with me is you possess these certain skills that you feel have 
contributed to getting you where you are today. And, you know, you yeah. worked your butt off to learn those skills. They weren't just handed to you. And you're, you're just going to hand those over to someone else. I'm going to just give this to somebody else. Right. Yeah. It's Absolutely. hard. It's very hard. But to, to accomplish the end goals that, that, uh, is what needs to happen and in, in to be sure. able to, to, to get to where you need to go. Now you mentioned creating time compartments. You're, are you, I'm, and I'm, I'm going to ask maybe for a little bit more detail, or maybe if you could just expand upon this just a touch, but the, the time compartments you're talking about, I mean, you're actually physically blocking time in your calendar and putting it on the calendar or explain more there about what, what you're doing with the time compartments. Yeah. One of the things that I talk about in the book is how to organize your time. Um, and then you, you, so the first thing I do in the book is, is an exercise for people who are completely overwhelmed at the moment. And they can't even think about next week because they just have so much on their plate right now. And what I asked them, what, one of the exercises that, that I go through in the book is how can you just getting in, you know, get things under control right now, what's on your plate right now. And once that is done, then you can start planning long-term for a year, you know, a one-year plan or a three-year plan. And then you, you drill down from there into quarterly plans and monthly plans, and then finally weekly plans. So a lot of what I propose is based on this weekly plans. And that's where you create your time compartments. So, you know, you start, you know, you start planning your week and then you say, okay, next week I have, I'll start with everything that I cannot move around. And that's, you know, a meeting with the boss or a meeting with the board of directors, or, um, we've been invited to this meeting with a client, etc. All the things that you cannot move, then you block first in your calendar because you have very little control over those. And then, you block time. Uh, you, you might always have, say, the, a team meeting every week on Fridays, right? So you block that time and that's always blocked in your calendar every single week. And then you can go and block specific times for what I call management and leadership. And that's, I recommend doing that every day for at least two or three hours a day, because that's when you basically, it seems like you're not doing much, but that's when you're basically um you know, putting in the seeds for great communication and great team performance. And that basically means going around, depends on the size of your team, but it means going around, seeing what each people is, each person is doing, what are they struggling with? How can you help them? And just being available for them and for meetings if they need it. So sort of like either an open office space of time or actually moving around the office and going and talking to people just, you know, catching up. And then you book other times in your calendar where you tell people that you're not available. And that is not because you have a meeting or anything. It's because you're working on your own things, because you're planning your strategy, because you're writing a report, whatever it is that you're doing. And then you let people know because, you know, that's where miscommunication starts. You get interrupted and you get angry and you always say, you know, if it's an, if it's an emergency, if it's something really urgent and then you define what urgent means, you know, and that's very important, <laughs> then come and see me and, you know, it's fine if you interrupt me. I think that's what's difficult is always trying to find the time to block out for yourself. Yeah, it is. It is. But it's very important because if not, you'll get behind in strategy and you get behind in thinking about how your team can 
do better and behind your own work, whatever that work is, whether designing or writing or etc. Yeah. It's, completely agree. It's challenging. I agree with Justin. It's challenging. However, I found if I don't put it on my calendar as an actual, uh, as you called it, a, a time compartment, if, if I don't yeah. put it on my calendar in a block, I will. I will let my door will be open, and I will allow distractions. And and I don't mean that to be in a negative way, but it's it's interruptions. Maybe is a better term. Yeah. Interruptions to to disrupt my my if I'm really trying to get some flow going or I even find myself um, jumping back and forth, trying to multitask with going into the managerial walking to around to the the different members of the team, seeing how things are going, talking to them about projects, then going back and maybe trying to gain some traction on a project. And then the phone rings and then somebody pops in my office. So forget it. The day that's what, yeah, that happens to all of us, I think. Sure. Yeah. And then it's five o'clock and it's kind of like, okay, well, everyone's going to be leaving here in, in, in minutes and then I'll have the phones won't ring and no one will be here and I'll start working on some things. And then the wife calls and says, okay, you're coming home and what's for dinner? So um, <laughs> they no, got but, all their stuff done, but you did not. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Sure. And that, that happens a lot. And I think what you said about, you know, it, oh, now it's 5 p.m. and now everybody's leaving. Now I'll have some calm time. That's fair enough. And a lot of people use that strategy. But in the end, you you work late every day because that happens every single day. Yeah. Whereas if you actually put it in your calendar and you tell people about it and you, you just create a habit for everybody of respecting that time, you will mm-hmm. get your work done in time. If not, just, you know, talking to people and management will eat up all your time, all yeah. your time, every day. Absolutely. So I have to ask you, the title of your book is Build Your Dream Team. What do you mean by building? Are you suggesting, you're not suggesting firing everyone and then rehiring? Because <laughs> like, that would put everyone on notice here really quickly. That's yeah, exactly. And I, I don't think anyone Neon Goldfish really would want to hear that right now. So are you are you talking more about molding others, molding the existing team or a combination of the both? Um, well, you know, in many of the organizations where I have worked, I have had no control on who gets fired and who gets hired. And I think some, you know, when you own your own business and it's your own team and you have a lot more control there, but in, sometimes we work for other organizations where we have very little control on who is in, on our team. So I've been thinking more about the second scenario that you've been painting right now. So how do we, you, you get a team that is already formed or more or less formed and how do you build it to into a dream team into a cohesive team that likes to work together that it's sufficient and a team that you're proud of and that you're happy to work with and um one of the first things that i learned many years ago when i faced my own challenge of okay now i have this team what do i do with them you know <laughs> it's like oh my gosh now i'm responsible for all these people Um, was that basically there's a very big difference between a group and a team. You know, we have groups of people, but groups of people don't necessarily have the same goal or the same agenda. And that's the difference with a team. When you actually move from a group to a team, you get a group of people that are on the same channel. They have the same 
uh, goals in mind and they, they're, you know, they're rowing in the same direction, basically. Yeah. And this is a process that has been very well studied by, you know, uh, management experts and organizational experts. So the idea behind building your team is that you can either go by default. So you, you land with a team and you don't know them and they don't know you. And then you just let things roll however way they roll. And then you don't Mm -hmm. have much control on how that team is getting formed or you uh, go the proactive way, which is what I recommend in the book, of course. And that is understanding that there's four phases that every team goes through in their formation. So when you throw a bunch of people together, we all go through this process. And if you think back, what I like to tell people is, okay, think back to the last time you were in a PTA meeting or you joined a basketball team or you just got together with a group of people for one, a one-day retreat or whatever. There's always the same dynamics that happen. And this has been very well studied. And those dynamics, those steps are the steps in the formation of a team. The first one is called forming. And that's the, you know, that's the first hours or it's the, the, oh, I'm so nice uh, face that I call it. You know, we all (laughs) want to show our best, the best of us, right? (laughs) Because we're super polite and then we're talking about the weather and we're being super nice (laughs) and everything is going very well. And then, you know, we get the team gets a task and then that's when pretenses start to drop and conflict starts to happen and that's called the storming phase and it's called storming for a reason because this is where things break down because this is where personal agendas will start emerging you know and you know jim says oh i want to do it this way and you might say oh come on candela that's a terrible idea we're not going to do that that way and you know justin may say i'm the expert in this and i suggest that we do it this way um and of course people you know they have the the goal the team's goal in mind but we all have secret agendas and this is Mm. where they emerge maybe not maybe very sub you know very under the water but they will still be there so I don't know, someone might be, might want to showcase how good of a designer they are and not leave a lot of work for the others, or someone doesn't like to work as a team and rather would work alone, etc. So when you know that this is coming as a leader, you can actually uh, manage each of these phases. And in in the forming phase, for example, you can... um, create some uh, team building activities or some activities uh, to get to know people and for people to get to know you and to create a sense of a, of a team, you know, of a, of a, of a group, some challenges that you, you all need to go through together, etc. So team building activities. So I was talking about the storming phase, right? This is a phase where problems start to arise and politeness breaks down and etc. And when you're ready for it, when you know this is going to happen, first you know it's it's just a phase. You know it will go away eventually. You know the team will start to work. If you don't know that in advance, you can lose motivation here and you just can, you know, saying, oh my gosh, like, how is this possible? How am I going to get out of this? What have I done? <laughs> um, <laughs> but once you know storming is going to happen, uh, you can plan activities that help the team share their hidden agendas and their 
their anxieties or their their worries, right? They might be worried because they don't don't understand the task or the goal correctly. They might be worried because they have too much work, etc. So using these activities, you can actually make sure that the storming stage, which will happen, goes as smooth as possible and lasts as little as possible. Because eventually the team will come to what we call the norming phase. And this is where the team starts laying down how are we going to do things. And then we start to agree after all the conflict, we start to calm down and we start to agree, okay, Ken is going to do this part, Justin will do this part, Candela will take this. And we, the team starts laying out the rules for the internal work. Okay, we won't, we won't shout at each other, we'll be nice at each other, we'll have beers on Fridays, whatever it is, right? And, beers on Fridays sound good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually most groups come to this phase by themselves. But the idea is that you use the activities to bring them to this phase uh, quicker and in a more yeah. organized way. And then you can also have activities at the norming phase. You can actually, instead of letting the rules become unwritten rules, like people agree on things and on norms, and these norms are normally unspoken. And you probably have a lot in your office or even in your family, you know, like this is the person who makes breakfast, this is the person who makes a bed, uh, whatever it is. And it might not be written anywhere, but the, those rules exist. The same happens in a team. So what you can do is actually say, okay, let's write out, let's spell out together what do we want the rules or the norms of this team to be. And then it's a common effort. And everybody agrees because you've created those rules together. So it already facilitates a lot communication and conflict in the future. And finally, teams to come to the place where you want them to be. Then that's a performing stage where people are actually working together efficiently and things start to happen and you start to get results. And even in that, you know, and even in that phase, you always want to have um strategies to make sure that communication is flowing and that you're um, preventing conflict as much as you can. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. You make it sound so crystal clear and easy. <laughs> <laughs> Easier, Easier, I would say. Absolutely. Sure, sure. Absolutely. So in that, you, you mentioned conflict. And, and so, I mean, I think conflict, whether it's it's recognizable conflict or if, if it's uh, conflict that we hold internally that we maybe not vocalize, but we, we have either uh, harsh feelings towards resentment toward another team member um, or uh, maybe even towards the leader, which, which yeah. might be you. So what, obviously conflict is not good, but what, what kind of impacts can that have on the, on the team? And uh and I think that you might have covered, but is there anything else you'd want to dive into or anything else? Think of more the causes uh, of, of, of this conflict and why that, that happens. Well, conflict is the worst, right? We, I think, except for very few people, most of us don't like conflict. And some of us actually very um, actively avoid conflict. This is also very culture dependent. And I've seen this in working in different countries. Some countries, you know, are happy to get into conflict. It's not a problem to get into a big discussion. Um, I'm thinking maybe of the French country, culture and maybe a little bit the American culture as well. 
Um, or the Italians, as we, you know, that's a little bit of stereotypical, but <laughs> many cultures are less afraid of conflict than others. Then there's some um, cultures like mine, like the Mexican culture. And now I found out also the Norwegian culture that don't really like conflict that much, right? And we're going to do put a lot of effort into trying to avoid it. And that, you know, that's where you maybe don't voice your, your feelings or your anger against a certain person or your discontent because something is not going right. So that's not necessarily uh, open and, you know, violent conflict is not good, but the other extreme is also not very productive. So conflict can basically stop your, the productivity of your, of your team. And it also makes people, you know, unhappy and unwilling to go to work and unmotivated. So it just, it's just not a good thing. It's something that we want to, to not to avoid, but to prevent or to treat if it comes to that, if, if conflict is already there. And I think there's, there's many causes of conflict. And one of the first one that always comes, comes to mind is change. When there's change, there's going to be conflict almost always, unless you get very lucky and you have very good strategies to avoid it. And that's sort of normal because we all fear change a little bit. We're a little bit afraid of change. We don't like it that much. We were comfortable before and Dealing with, uh, so basically it's a good thing to know that when things are going to change, especially when you come in as a leader, it's a big change for your team, then there's going to be some conflict, Absolutely. right? Sure. And then of course you have what you were mentioning. There might be, you know, fair difference of opinions. There might be hidden difference, hidden difference in, in agendas. There, they can be personal conflict you uh, you don't like a particular person in the team but that doesn't mean you can't work work with him or, or her i mean at the professional level there's not much you can do like you either leave the the organization or you need to learn how to work with the people that you don't right. like that much right. <clears throat> um and of course the big the big big issue is always miscommunication or lack of communication altogether and that happens all the time and as much it's, it's sort of the big th issue that we're always talking about, how to make communication right. better, Absolutely. right? And then, of course, and sometimes we forget this, even the nicest person can one day, you know, just explode. And that might be because, you know, we're all human beings and we have our own stories in our heads and, and our own personal lives and personal issues. And... This is one of the things that I talk a lot about in the book. If you as a leader don't know anything about the personal lives of your team, and some see this as respect and some see this as separating personal and professional life, but if you have really no idea at all, you won't be able, these people won't come to you to tell you, you know, I'm having a lot of personal issues and I'm afraid they might be impacting my work. So you won't have a clue. Um... And this, this might really affect the productivity of some of your team members and also create conflicts because that person is just being nasty <laughs> to the rest. Sure. Yeah. Or underperforming. Yeah. Underperforming, Absolutely. yeah. yeah. Causing conflict. And then you mentioned as well this thing about um, personal issues. And one of the things that can also create a conflict is that some people uh, deal with lack of self-confidence by creating conflict or being a little bit more aggressive than necessary and that is also something that as a leader you need to be aware of 
what would be an example in, 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 and I'm, I, I agree with you, but I'm, I'm just trying to put my finger. If someone, so someone lacking self-confidence, they would act out. They would be, they, they would be more aggressive. You said, well, they can be more aggressive or they might, uh, avoid doing a certain task and then you don't know why they are avoiding it. Right. And this has happened to me a lot. You ask someone to do something, they say, yes, yes, yes. And then you come back to them in a week and there's no progress and you ask what's going on and they said, oh, I haven't had time and so on. And at a certain point, you realize you're basically procrastinating. And when someone's procrastinating, normally it's not because they don't have time, but because they are afraid of the task or they're, they're stressed about the task for mm-hmm. one reason or other. So if you, if you start from there and you say, you know, are you, com- you feel confident on doing this task or where do you think the problem is or why has this not happened? Then you can start digging into a little bit into where the problem is and if it's a self-confidence problem for the person. <clears throat> okay. That's, and, and I, and you say that and I, I've recognized maybe going back in my brain, some uh, instances of, uh, our team members and even myself where I've had a, a task where maybe my self-confidence yeah. wasn't as high and, or the task seemed more daunting and they always seem this way. The task always seems more daunting than it really yeah. is. Yeah. Once you get into it, it's, it's not as bad. So <laughs> yeah. Once you tackle it is, Oh, okay. That wasn't that bad. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. So one thing that I always find interesting is, is keeping a team engaged, keeping a team motivated and a leader. Uh, I, I don't know. Is, is, is it the leader's responsibility? Does that fall completely on their shoulders or, or how, how, how can a leader keep the team motivated? And the flip side is, is also, I think you mentioned a little bit in conflict, your conversation about conflict about, uh, maybe give people getting disengaged or, or getting burnt out. So yeah. motivation or being engaged in, in their work is, is great. But can you talk a little bit more about uh, what a leader can do to keep the team motivated and maybe avoid uh, that burnout? Yeah, I think, I think it, it is the responsibility of, of the team leader uh, to avoid burnout in your team. But of course, you, you can't force people to not come to work or not to work late, late hours because you know they need some rest, right? <laughs> people are going to sure. do what they want to do. But I do think it's partly your responsibility to avoid burnout. And I think team motivation, a lot of that responsibility lands on the shoulders of the leader, but it has to be also a shared responsibility. And I think stating that from the beginning, saying, you know, I want us all to be responsible for keeping each other motivated and uh you know, raising your hand if you think motivation is going down or you, you don't understand why are we doing this or why is this important? I think putting that out in the open is, is yeah. a very good idea. <clears throat> and as to keep a team motivated, there, I talk a lot about strategies for that uh, on, on the book. And I think the first one is to treat what I call treating people as people. Um, you know, your team members are human beings. They're not machines. They're not put there for the efficiency or the, of the organization or the goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're human beings. They have their own lives. They have their own problems. They have their own good days and bad days. And that's why I think it's important to, if a person knows that they're treated with respect and that you care for them as more as just another clog in their organization, uh, that first creates motivation because people feel cared for and then it creates um 
also loyalty to to the team leader and, and maybe also that extends to the organization, right? And there's been a lot of interesting studies, some of them done at Google, you know, with all the huge number of employees that they have on what keeps people motivated. And uh, a big factor is the... Uh, the leader, how, how the, their relationship with, the, with their immediate um, boss. And I think another thing is, and this has been also uh, researched quite a bit, is that people feel that what they're doing is meaningful. And that responsibility, I do think, falls on the shoulders of the leader. We need to get to the point we, as leaders, are good enough to... Uh, tell our teams why is it that what we're doing is important and what's the meaning of it. And if you're not doing this, and this is also about how good you are at sharing your excitement or your passion for what you're doing, right? And what it will all mean at the end. And sometimes I think a lot of us, because we're overwhelmed, we have very little time, we just share the task. Oh, okay, we need to do this or we need to do that. Or maybe we share the short-term goals. Oh, okay, this is what we're, we need to be in three months. But we forget the larger vision. What are we aiming for? What is the image in our heads that the other people can't see? We don't tell them about it, right? Yeah. That, that's so key because a lot of times you work on a particular component and you, you look at the task very literally. But I think sometimes, especially maybe design uh, or, or coding, which is what we're very involved with at Neon Goldfish. If we say you need to design this button and here's the size of the button, the, the creativity or the, the, of the designer or even of the coder would be limited if they didn't fully understand how it was going to be utilized and how yeah. it fit into the rest of Absolutely. the Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Into the big picture, no? Absolutely. Mm. Uh, there, there you go. Hey, uh, Candela, if you had one piece of parting advice to our listening audience, what would that be? Um, I think what I hear a lot is that people think, even at, even today, people think leaders are born. You know, they say, oh, no, I can't be a leader. I can't be a good team leader because, uh, you know, you're either born a leader or you or you or you're not. But the truth is it's not rocket science. A lot of us come through it without any formal training and you can become a great leader. You can become a great team leader. There's a lot of information out there. Um, there's my book, of course, but there's all the books and research that I that I drew upon to yeah. write this book. Um, and we can all build ourselves into better and better team leaders and create great teams and it's it's a learning process and we're all learning all the time and to be honest i find that it's a very fun ride so that would be my awesome. parting advice it's not rocket science or just <laughs> dive, dive into, into it. it i love and it sure. dive into it and have fun <laughs> awesome advice uh, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you um i have a, a, a website where you can reach me very easily it's um candela-iglesias.com i'm gonna ask you to spell that for the audience <laughs> yeah so that's c-a-n-d-e-l-a dash i-g-l-e-s-i-a-s dot com awesome it will include a link in that in the show notes as well 
Yeah, and then you can from there you can have uh, you can send me an email or you can uh, go to the book. Uh, there's a link for the book, and you can buy the book on Amazon, either on paperback or on um, Kindle. Beautiful. Well, Neon Noise Nation, we hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Candela. Be sure to go over and check her out at her website. Candela, thank you so much for being on the show today. As always, the show notes from today will be available at neongoldfish.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, this is Justin, Ken, and Candela. Neon Noise Nation, we will see you again next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Neon Noise Podcast. Did you enjoy the podcast? If so, please subscribe, share with a friend, or write a review. We want to cover the topics you want to hear. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like Justin and Ken to cover, connect with us on Twitter at Neon Goldfish or through our website at neongoldfish.com.